Colossians chapter 1 is where we bring our text from today. Glad that you're here in the house of the Lord. Thanks for being here. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, reading down through verse 18. Of course, Paul writing to the church of Colossae where he started a church and then he's writing and giving uh, discipleship classes and new converts classes, teaching them through the, the writing of these epistles in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 reads, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or principalities, or powers, or viruses. Making sure you're following along. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead. That in all things, everybody say all things. He might have the preeminence. I want to speak this morning on this subject, the invisible advocate. The invisible advocate. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful to be in your house. Thankful for your presence. Thankful for the opportunity to gather together. We feel your presence. We know you're here to do a great work. Prepare our hearts and minds to receive your word. Help us, God, to be changed from the inside out. We'll give you praise. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Portion of the text that we read says, For by him were all things created that are on earth. I want to talk about that for just a moment. That's the visible stuff. Everything that we can see, he's God of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He's God of it. All nature, all creation. He is God. Job chapter 38, beginning in verse 25, Job asks a series of rhetorical questions talking about the preeminence of this invisible God. He says, in verse 25, Who hath divided a water course for the overflowing of waters, or a way for the lightning of thunder, cause it to rain on the earth? where no man is, on the wilderness, wherein there is no man, to satisfy the desolate and waste ground, and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth. Hath the rain a father? Or who hath begotten the drops of dew? Out of whose womb came the ice, the hoary frost of heaven? Who hath gendered it? The waters are hid as with a stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. I don't care if you're in the Arctic Circle or in the South Pole, if you're in the Sahara Desert or the Amazon Rainforest, he's God of it all. Every tree, every tulip, every termite, he's God. Every drop of rain, every rainbow, river, and rabbit, he's God. Every pain, every laugh, every hurt, every joy, 
Every valley, every hill, every man, and every woman. He's God of this earth. Oh, hallelujah. It may be old school to worship God and to just preach a message that exalts the Lord, but that's what we intend to do today is to just lift up the Lord. He's God of everything on this earth. The psalmist David said, In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. Every leader, every throne, every country, every crisis. There's not anything visible to the naked eye that he's not God of. He's God of it all. But beyond that, he's also God of everything you can't see. And it's the things that you can't see that concern us the most. I'm enjoying right now driving with my teenage sons as they learn to drive and, and get their license to drive on their own. And I told them, I said, if you can see it in driving, you can usually avoid it. But most accidents are the results of something you never saw. Boom! Where did he come from? You never saw it. If you can see it, you can avoid it, slow down, do something different. But it's the things you can't see. More than 25 years ago, coming home on I-75, got hit by a drunk driver and flipped two and a half times on Interstate 75 and landed upside down in the median. And God kept me from all the imminent death, I'm sure, that was there waiting for me. I never saw the car hit me. I'm just driving along happy as can be. And all of a sudden, I'm flipping through the air. It's the things you can't see that are the most dangerous. But I'm glad that our God is not just the God of what I can see. He's a God of everything I can't see. Oh, that's why you got to praise him when it appears that everything is going good. Because you don't know in the invisible world, he's still advocating for you. He's still fighting for you. He's fighting for you in a battle that you're not even aware of. Good God Almighty. Sometimes you ought to praise the Lord for everything you don't know about. Lord, I thank you for everything I can't see. I thank you, Lord, from every germ you've protected me from. I thank you, Lord, from every accident you protected me from. I thank you, Lord, from every disease that I never knew about. I thank you, Lord, that you're God in the invisible world. You're protecting me on every front. What I can't see, what I don't know about, you're God of that too. You know, it's one thing to wage war against an army of advancing German tanks. It's another thing to fight against an invisible dominion. It's one thing to fight against the Taliban. It's another thing to fight against an invisible virus. It's what you can't see that's the most dangerous. It's the principalities, the powers of darkness. But I've got good news today. He's God of the invisible. He's God of the invisible as well. He's God of everything that you can't see. 
And the text says that in all things, he might have preeminence. That's power. That's authority. He has preeminence. You're not just serving an invisible advocate. You're serving an invisible king that has preeminence in the invisible world. Job goes on to say in verse 31, Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pallades or loose the bands of Orion? According to astronomical estimates, Pallades is 3,000 billion miles away from the sun. And yet this constellation controls the whole of our solar system. I want you to think about this for just a moment because they believe that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. But even there, they name this solar system Pallades and says, Canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pallades? I mean, they didn't have telescopes. They didn't know anything about it. But God knew about it long before it was known of man. Long before it was visible to man. 3,000 billion miles away from the sun. And yet this constellation controls the whole of our solar system. Because God has been the invisible advocate long before there was an invisible enemy. He's been an invisible God that's been working on your behalf long before you stepped through the doors of this church. Long before you knew the power of the name of Jesus. He's been your advocate. He's been fighting for you. He's been standing in the gap. He's been your advocate and your counselor. Jesus. Whose counsel, other than his, is authoritative enough to ordain ordinances that will operate such majestic constellations over the range of these gigantic distances with meticulous precision? Goes on to say, Canst thou bring forth Maseroth? Those are other constellations. In his season, or canst thou guide Articus, bear with his sons. He directs their paths. He orders their steps. And the counselor of the heavens tells them where to go and how to spin and when to shine. And that counsel is demonstrated by their obedience. There's no star that's creating some rebellion in the heavens. They all give obeisance to this invisible God who has preeminence in the invisible world. I'm thankful for what I can see. And I'm thankful for a God that's a God in this natural world but I'm thankful for a God that's a God of a supernatural world you don't have to live in fear of Satan or Lucifer or hell or all of its imps because our God is greater oh there ought to be a praise among God's people he's bigger he's greater I feel like taking about 25 seconds right now and lifting up our voice in a shout unto him. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah.
glory. Glory. All the divine ordinances are controlled and coordinated by the counsel of his omnipotence. Paul understood the value of being able to see God's power in the invisible realm. In Romans 1, he stated, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, that's you and I. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. We are without excuse because what we see in the natural world is just given to us as an object lesson to let you know that the same God that controls everything that you can see is the same God that's in charge of everything that you can't see. And just as nature obeys the voice of its creator, there is an invisible realm of dominion that also obey the voice of our Creator so that we are without excuse. Say, Pastor, aren't you afraid of the virus? No. I'm afraid of the one who has preeminence over the virus. Paul continues in teaching Timothy in the first chapter, verse 17, now unto the King, capital K, the King, eternal, The king, eternal. He's not going to relinquish his throne. He's been the king from the beginning. He's going to be the king at the end. He is king, eternal. Immortal. He's not going to die. He doesn't get sick. He doesn't get discouraged. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. Invisible. You say, oh, I wish I had a God I could see. You go through the Old Testament, every time they created a God that they could see, and they made a statue to Baal or Buddha or whoever, guess what? Any God that you can see is a limited God, but an invisible God. is a God that is God of the invisible. You didn't create him, you didn't make him. He's God all by himself. But when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, well, there ought to be a shout, there ought to be a praise from God's people. He's God of the invisible. He's great and greatly to be praised. He's the only wise God. Be glory and honor forever and ever. That's where we can get involved. Be honor and glory forever and ever. I'm not in charge of the invisible world, but I got a voice and I can praise the invisible king. And I can say, Lord, I thank you. Though I don't see it all, though I don't understand it all, I feel your power. I feel your strength. I feel your courage. He 
aren't you afraid of Satan aren't you afraid of sickness I'm more concerned about the invisible king for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful wonderful you serve a wonderful God he's not just a great God he's a good God He's a wonderful God. He's my song and my strength. He's my joy in the morning. He's my help in the midnight hour. Everything I need, I find in him. Wonderful. Hmm. Wonderful. Counselor. Counselor. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. (laughs) Wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Wonderful. Counselor! So my question to you today is, who is your counselor? Who is the expert that you are listening to? Psalms 1 says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Who is your counselor? Everybody in this building, everybody under the sound of my voice is walking by counsel. It doesn't matter whether you're the oldest person here or the youngest. You may have the finest mind or the most limited. It doesn't matter. Every person is walking by counsel. You have been living your life by counsel. What is counsel? Is it advice? Not exactly, though that's part of it. Counsel is advice that you honor to the extent that you give it obedience. Who is your counselor? What advice are you following to the point that you give it obedience? It's not what you consider. It's what you take into your life and act upon. That's your counsel. For Christ to be your counselor, you have to walk in the way of righteousness. You walk by the principles and the precepts of the Holy Word of God. That's our counsel. It's not just our consideration. It's our counsel. Consider what Job said. God is the counselor that gives guidance to the universe. He's the mastermind of the wonders of every galaxy. He's your counselor, he's my counselor, but he's not just our counselor, he's the mighty counselor. He's the advocate of the invisible realm. 
I've heard for six months about the invisible enemy. We've had an invisible enemy for longer than just six months. We've had an invisible enemy before you were born, before I was born. We have had a prosecutor that's trying to destroy every person that would try to live by biblical principles. The Bible describes him as a as an accuser of the brethren. That's the invisible enemy. But even before we had an invisible enemy, we had an invisible advocate. An advocate is somebody who intercedes for you. Someone who pleads your case. Someone who defends you in the heat of the moment. Invisible world is not so scary when you consider you have an advocate in the invisible world that has preeminence. He's not just the invisible advocate, he's the invisible king. Preeminence means surpassing all others. The invisible advocate has preeminence. The advocacy or counsel of the Almighty is only as powerful as we give obedience to it. When God took on the robe of humanity in Bethlehem, His counsel was demonstrated. Who was it that directed the wise men? Who was it that directed Mary and Joseph? The counsel of the Almighty was demonstrated by the obedience of humanity. That's why Jesus prayed to the Father. That's why he referred to the Father who sent him. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. It was not another God. He told his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So what was Jesus doing when he prayed to the Father? It was the manifestation of the counsel of the Almighty by the obedience of the flesh. That's why he was the mighty God in Christ. He became the model for the preeminence of God's counsel over man's will. He said, if you want to have dominion in an invisible world, you can't do it on your own. But when I obey, when my flesh is submitted to his spirit, there is preeminence in an invisible realm. But a legal counselor cannot help a client that will not listen. A marriage counselor is not effective unless the parties following the instructions give heed. A pastor cannot give spiritual counsel unless there is obedience. And when Isaiah foretold that the Messiah would be the counselor, he was declaring that Jesus would demonstrate the omnipotence of the Almighty by divine obedience. That's why the book says in Philippians, once again, Paul writing to a a young established church in the New Testament Philippians chapter 2 the church of Philippi he begins in verse 6 and says who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient Unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore? It's because of that obedience. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him 
and given him a name which is above every name. You want to know why there's power in the name of Jesus? It's because it reflects obedience to an invisible God. You want power in an invisible realm? You got to get up every day and say, Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I give honor to you. Paul goes on to say that at the name of Jesus, every knee. I said at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven here we go again and things in earth and now let's expand it and things under the earth he's God of Hades he's God of everything under the earth everything that's on the earth everything that's above the earth what you can see what you can't see he's God He's the mighty God. And the authority is in the name of Jesus. That's why the devil don't want you to use the name of Jesus. Because when you declare the name of Jesus, it reminds him that he doesn't have preeminence in the invisible realm. As long as you and I operate in the flesh, we are held captive based upon only what we can see. But when I say, in Jesus' name, good God Almighty. I'm invoking power into an invisible realm. That's why we baptize in the name of Jesus. That's why we pray for the sick in the name of Jesus. That's why you cast out devils in the name of Jesus. Ooh, you ought to practice right now as loud as you can. Shout the name of Jesus. Let me give you another verse so it becomes even more clear. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All you got to do is confess. And when I call upon Jesus, if you're in the midst of a trial and you call upon Jesus, you're confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. I don't know how God's going to bring me through this, but I'm going to call upon the name of Jesus. I don't understand the doctor's report, but I'm going to call upon the name of Jesus. I don't know where this cancer came from. I'm preaching to somebody prophetically right now. But I've got power in the name of Jesus. I don't know where this trial is going to take me, but I've got power in his name. The preeminence of God becomes the advocacy of man when we give heed, when we obey. Let me say it again so you get this. If you don't remember anything else, remember this one sentence. The preeminence of God becomes the advocacy of man when we give heed. I will not give up the counsel of the Almighty for the counsel of the ungodly. 
The reason that we do not have the advocacy of the eternal, invisible, immortal king in our life is because we are not giving counsel to the one who can direct our steps. Instead, we sit in the seat of the scornful and we listen to the counsel of the ungodly. Ungodly counsel that dominates our minds and dominates the airways. Ungodly counsel. Listening to things that are not of God. Music that can become the Pied Piper to the young. It leads young people to commit suicide and take drugs and to live promiscuous lives because they're walking in the counsel of the ungodly because some rap artist is blaring into my AirPods a, a, a word that is not of God. Ungodly counsel in the form of literature. Evil books and magazines. You say, oh, pastor, we're way beyond that then how come Harry Potter sells more books than anything else? We need a bonfire as consuming as the one on the streets of Ephesus. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 19 and verse 19, many of them which also used curious arts, wizards and black magic and, and all of this stuff, it's not of God. It said they brought them together and they burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. They had spent hard-earned money, but it was ungodly counsel. Come on, we got to get away from ungodly counsel. So we can have the advocacy of a mighty God who has preeminence. They don't understand why I don't have power in the invisible world. It's because you're giving heed to ungodly counsel in the form of television and movies. The philosophy of TV is wrong. Everything is sold by sex. Violence is a way of life. Problems are posed and solved in 30 minutes. If you're watching a comedy in one hour, if you're watching a drama, TV and movies make sin look good and themes of righteousness look foolish. If you listen to the counsel of Hollywood, you need to take care. You need to beware because it is a snare that will destroy your soul and destroy your mind and destroy your family. It's the counsel of the ungodly. And David started out the great book of Psalms by saying, I'm not going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but my delight is going to be in the law of God and in his law that I meditate day and night. you got to make up in your mind, my counselor is the mighty God in Christ. TV and movies... They advocate unbridled self-indulgence, contending that happiness is to be found in self-indulgence. They teach every man, do that which is right in your own eyes. The book of Judges talk about that in chapter 17 and verse 6. They magnify, justify, and glorify sin and crime. They have organized and institutionalized sin and crime. They represent drinking, dishonesty, crime, smoking, drugs, all of these things to be a part of normal human life. Just as much as breathing and eating and sleeping, they have fostered them until they have become national habits. They have seized the divine blessings of God, music and marriage and love and beauty and laughter and conversation, and they are perverting them for gain, and they are making money at your demise and my demise. 
because we give ear to it. The counsel of the ungodly will leave you destitute, discouraged, and deranged, and you won't know what you're listening to. When Mark David Chapman pled guilty to murdering John Lennon in Central Park of New York City, he claimed to hear voices from God. He wasn't hearing from God. He was listening to Satan. But if you're not listening to God, you don't know what's Satan, what's God, and what's your own imagination. Paul told the Thessalonian Christians, he said, prove all things. How do you prove it? You prove it by the word of God. Hold fast that which is good. Solomon wrote, a simple man believes everything. You got to be careful what you believe. This may come as a great revelation for you, but not everything on the internet is truth. A simple man believes everything. But a prudent man gives thought to his steps. A wise man is cautious and avoids danger. But a fool plunges ahead with great confidence. Ladies and gentlemen, it is a fact that you will hear what you are listening for. And you will see what you are looking for. You can be in a crowd of a hundred people. And everybody can be talking. And all of a sudden, you can hear a coin fall out of a pocket and land on a hard surface. And everybody will stop and look and turn around. Because you can hear what you're listening for. That sounds like somebody just dropped a quarter. And everything will become quiet. You don't believe it, just practice it this afternoon. I know we don't have all this social gathering as much as we used to. But it's amazing how you can hear what you're listening to. I'm listening for the sound of the trumpet. Come on, somebody's got to lift up your head and lift up your eyes. For your redemption draweth nigh. What are we listening for? What are we looking for? Heaven will be the fulfillment of godly hope. And I feel like we need to talk more about heaven because we're getting ready to go to heaven. God's getting ready to sound the trumpet. Come on. The angel's getting ready to proclaim. Uh, come on. Gabriel's getting ready to sound. And the Lord said, come up higher, my people. It's time uh, to lift up our ears uh, and to lift up our eyes. Uh, it's time to turn off the world. In fact, this next week, I want to challenge everybody in this church. Uh, you ought to disconnect uh, from all the influences of Hollywood for one week. Uh, you ought to play Christian music in your car. You ought to turn off the news. I don't care if it's Fox, CNN, MSNBC. NBC, ABC, or whatever you want to call it. You ought to turn it all off and put on Christian music. And every night at 7 p.m., you ought to get the family together and say, we're going to have church because we found an invisible advocate. Oh, I challenge you in the Holy Ghost. You take one week and give up the counsel of the ungodly. And next Sunday when we come back here, same time, same place. Come on, I challenge you in the Holy Ghost. I know not many of you will do it because all of you are still serving that God and you don't even realize you're serving that God. But if even there's a handful of us that'll say, I can disconnect for seven days. When we get back in this place, you're going to find there's a different atmosphere because when God's people say, I've listed for another sound. There's a change in the atmosphere. 
Heaven will be the fulfillment of godly hope. It will be the restoration of that which has been fragmented and broken. It's the final victory over sin and death. Heaven is being where God is. It's being in His presence. It's where we will know the fullness of God's love. It's the ultimate result of obeying godly counsel. Say, Pastor, how can we do that when we're surrounded on every side? So many voices. So many opinions. How can we hear that clarion call of heaven? The writer of Hebrews said that Moses responded visible advocate with obedience. And though he was surrounded with the wealth and the corruption, palace, Egypt, powerful nation in the world at that time, Egypt, all of its pull on Moses possibly in line for the throne how was he able to withstand it all how did he do it writer of Hebrews declares the solution it's the same now as it was then by faith he referring to Moses forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king you and I have got to realize God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Not fearing the wrath of the king. Small K. The Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, he didn't fear him, for he endured. As seeing him who is invisible. How was Moses able to resist the temptation of ungodly counsel? The temptation of that that was visible. It's because he got a revelation of who is king of the invisible. And every day he could endure because he was able to see what others could not see. They said, Christians, how can you be so bold? How can you be so authoritative? Your declaration that God will keep you in all situations. How? Because though while everybody else looks at a visible realm, we look into an invisible realm. Instead of our focus being on one person that gets the virus in a church of 300 people. Not even this church. Because in six months, we can't point to one person that's gotten coronavirus from this church. This is the safest environment on the earth. But as soon... As we hear about one person somewhere went to church, got the virus, we focus on the one 
Instead of focusing on the 299 that God has protected. The focus is on who got sick. But what about all of those that have recovered? You don't hear about all the thousands that are recovering. You don't hear about all the people that are healthy, that came through it. I say today it's time for the church of the living God to change the narrative. He's our healer. He's our protector. He's the mighty God. <laughs> Come on, stand to your feet. It's time we get back to church. It's time we get back to the counsel of the mighty God. He has preeminence. I don't know what you may be facing today, but I've come to tell you, he's given you preeminence. I said he's given you preeminence. He's given you power and authority. You say, how do I unleash it? By saying, God, I'm getting my counsel from you. I'm going to declare the name of Jesus. Come on, you ought to lift up your hands all over this building and you ought to declare the name of Jesus. Jesus Jesus come on whatever you're facing Jesus Jesus there needs to be somebody in this place that said uh, I've been listening to the counsel of the ungodly but I'm going to turn my ear toward heaven I've made up in my mind I'm going to look under the hills from which cometh my help she caught a robo You don't understand why people in your house are acting the way they are. It's because of the counsel of the ungodly. You don't understand why people that you're close to seem like they have a different conversation. They're living in frustration because there's not the counsel of the invisible God. It's the counsel of an ungodly influence. But I feel like God is telling this Eastwind Pentecostal church, it's time to turn the tables. I said, it's time to turn the tables. Oh God, I feel boldness in the Holy Ghost. I feel a breakthrough in the spirit right now. If you feel boldness to declare the name of Jesus, I want to invite you to come out from where you're standing and come in this altar. If you don't, you want to stay in your pew, that's okay. We're going to do it all over the building. But if you feel bold in your spirit and you say, Pastor, I'm going to declare the name of Jesus with everything that's inside of me. In just a moment, I'm going to turn this microphone off. 
and it's going to be the voices of God's people. Come on, it's time we move away from observation and we move into participation. The way you give obedience to this council is in the declaration of the name of Jesus. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're fighting, it's in the power of the name of Jesus. Where you're standing in this altar, wherever you are, I want you to lift up your voice now. Come on, like a trumpet. I said, I want you to lift up your voice like a trumpet. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Oh, yes, Lord. 